Chapter 7 While most Wall Street stocks drifted or dropped, I continued my dancing tour of the world. In November 1957, I was appearing at the Arkenchi in Shagun when I noticed barren stock unknown to me called Loreland. I did not know then that they were the manufacturers of a particular brand of filter tip cigarettes and the filter tip craze was about to sweep America, causing their production to leap up astronomically. Out in seconds, all I knew was that Loreland began to emerge from the swamp of sinking stocks like a bacon. In spite of the bad market, it rose from 17 until in the first week of October. It established itself in the narrow box 24 oblique 27. Its volume for that week was 1,26,700 share, which sharply contrasted with its usual 10,000 share earlier in the year. The steady rise in price and the high volume indicated to me that there was a tremendous interest in this stock. As for this fundamentals, I was satisfied as soon as I found out about the wide acceptance of their Kent and old gold cigarettes. I decided that if it showed sign of going above 2727, I would buy it. I asked my broker to cable me daily quotes. It soon became clear from these quotes that certain knowledgeable people were trying to get into this stock in spite of the general statement of the market. Few people at that time had the finest indication that Loreland was to make Wall Street history, that it was to shoot up to the most astonishing high in a relatively short time, watched by an amazed and gasping financial community. We were at the depth of the baby beer market and the atmosphere was rather gloomy, but as if unperturbed by the general pessimism, Lorillette was happily jumping up and down in its little cage. By no mid-November 1957, it became even more independent and it began to push upward toward what I estimated I would be 27 oblique 32 bucks. This isolated, isolated strength in the face of general weakness was very impressive to me. I felt I had sufficient proof of this its strength and I decided to become a bull in a beer market. I signed the following cable from Bangkok. As you see, although I felt quite sure in my judgment with my merged technical and fundamental viewpoint, I did not for one moment consider abandoning my chief defensive weapon, the stop loss order. No matter how well built your house is, you would not think of forgetting to insure it against fire. Within a few days, I received confirmation that I had bought 200 Loreland at 27. I was well satisfied with my purchase and braced myself for a big rise. This became but not the way I had assessed it. My first experience was disheartening. On Tuesday, November 26, the stock dropped back exactly to my stop loss of 26 and I was sold out. To add insult to injury, second after I was stopped out, it started to rise and closed at 26. However, the reaction was so short and the rise that followed so firm that I decided to go back into it. That same week, I bought back my share at 28 against 
again I fixed my stop loss at 26. But this time Loreland's behavior was perfect. As the time went by, I was satisfied to see that the quotations never came close to my stop loss. This was a firm indication that I was on the right track and that my theory applied to this stock. I happened to be right. In December 1957, Loreland rose above th over 30 and made a new 31 oblique 35 box. My experiences with similar stock movements in the past told me that it was being accumulated. I felt that I had the right stock. Now it was a question of getting into it and with more money at the right time. I carefully washed my daily coats. I looked for the right moment as the fighter looked for an opening to land his blow. Towards the end of January, after a full false move, the big surge through which I had been expecting occurred. Loreland started to move decisively out of its box. This seemed to be the ideal moment. Everything was encouraging. The technical action, the fundamentals, the patterns. Also, the New York Stock Exchange was just lowered its margin requirements from 70% to 50%. This meant that my limited capital now had much more purchasing power. Every 1,000 could buy 2,000 worth of share. This was important to me because I needed my fund for another stock I was watching at that time. I was flying from Bangkok to Japan. It was from there I spent out my cable to add a further 400 share to my holdings. These were bought for me at 35 and 36 and a half. In the weeks that, I fo that followed, the stock's behavior continued to be exemplary. It was exciting to watch my theory being when they in practice. While I was traveling around the world dancing, Loreland was steadily dancing about in its box. It would be it would do this for a short time and then with an impassable, almost predictable thrust to move toward the box above. Loreland boxes began piling on top of each other like a beautifully constructed pyramid. I watched them fascinated. I had never seen a stock behave so perfectly as this. It was acting as though my theory had been built around it. On February 17, 1958, Loreland bounced up to 44. I was feeling very pleased with myself and the stock. When two day la days later, I received a cable in Tokyo, which frightened me. In one single day, my stock dro had dropped to a low of 36 and closed at 37. I was baffled. This move was completely unexpected. I did not know how to explain it. I rapidly cabled New York and raised my stop loss to 36, less than 2 points below the day's closing price. I felt if it dropped there, I would be sold out and still make a nice profit on my first purchase. As I was in Tokyo, I could not know the Wall Street rumors which had driven the stock down that day. All I knew was that it acted badly. Later, I found out that there had been a report saying that filter tips were not so efficacious against lung cancer as they were claimed to be and this had panicked a lot of people out of the stock. Fortunately, the setback was very short and my stop loss was not touched off. This convinced me of the stock's power and I decided to buy an additional 400 share. I paid 38. Almost immediately, I left this price behind. The quotation came in. 39-40-42. I was very happy. I felt as if I had become a partner in an immense new development. Everything looked as if I had planned it. It was at this time that I received from my broker three weeks 
issues of well-known advisory service. Week after week, this service strongly urged its subscriber to sell Loreland short. The third recommendation read like this. Loreland was obviously under distribution around 44 last week after we told you to start it on the short side. This amazed me, but I had long ago become so disillusioned with advisory service that I did not pay attention to it. Instead, I started to recommend Loreland to any American tourist who mentioned stock market to me. I was genuinely trying to be helpful. My enthusiasm is best illustrated by what happened one day in the Aravans Hotel in Bangkok. One afternoon at lunch, I was interviewed to the president of one of the largest American shipping companies. During my conversation, he mentioned that his holdings in the stock market among they were broken up in the following way. What do you think about it? He asked. What did I think of it? He could not have asked a better man. I immediately told him to sell all his holding and jersey standard and switch his fund to into Loreland. That's, that was what I would have done. A year later at him at a party in New York, Loreland was then above 80. What's your latest stock market advice? He asked me. Advice? I said. I was astonished. I was was not that three million worth of advice I gave you in Bangkok enough? It would have been, he said, if I had followed it. In the third week of March 1958, Loreland entered on an even more definite upward thrust. It jumped 41 oblique 8 point in one week. Its volume increased to an astonishing 316. 600 and it established itself in the 50 oblique 54 box. In the second week of April, Loreland left its new box. It pushed through to a new high of 55 but immediately dropped back to its formal 50 oblique 54 box. As I did not contemplate a further me unduly, however, I cautiously raised my stop loss to 49. I also wavered for a moment on the verge of selling but I decided against it. By now, I had trained myself to be patient and although I could have taken an easy $20 per share profit on my earliest purchase, I sat back determined not to take too quick a profit. I carried the last three purchases at 50% margin. This established me to keep the rest of my capital for a further investment, which turned out to be a stock called 10-year club. I first became interested in this stock at the turn of the year while I still battled with Loreland. Dinner's club had just split two for one and in the last week of January 1958 its weekly volumes fell to 23,400 which I consider unusually high for this stock. As this increase in volume was accomplished by an advancing price, I decided to check the stock's fundamentals. They were reassuring. The company was a near monopoly in an expanding field. The credit card system of which it was one of the pioneers was firmly established. The company's earnings were in a definite upward trend. With these factors in my mind, I bought 500 shares at 24. My stop loss was 21. Now the question was which direction the stock would take. My first Loreland purchase has already shown me a profit and I reasoned that if I came to the worst, I would lose it on Dale Diners Club, but it I did not. A few days after my purchase, the stock began to advance. According to my theory, 
I immediately bought another 500 share at 26. On both buyers, I took advantage of the new 50% margin. The pattern evolved perfectly, first at 20, then at 32, oblique 36. The last penetration was accomplished by a volume of 52,600 share for the week. This was higher than any other week's volume in the newly split stocks history. As I saw my profits piling up, I did not for a moment forget to trail my stop-loss insurance behind the rise. First I raised it to 27, then to 30. In the fourth week of March, penetrated a few 36 of the 40 box and seemed to establish itself there. I summed up my position in Dines Club. I already had a profit of more than the stock behaved as if it would go even higher. Even indication pointed to that. Every indication pointed to that. But suddenly, unexpectedly, my cable began to read differently. It was difficult to understand why, but I began to feel uncomfortable. The stock seemed to have lost its will to rise. It looked as though its last pyramid would hesitate on the brink of going into reverse. It almost seemed ready to tumble. So as not to get caught in my collapse, I decided to raise my stop loss to the unusually narrow margin of 36. In the fourth week of April, the event against which I had insured myself occurred. Diners Club broke through the lower limit of its box and I was sold out. I received 35,848. I had made an overall profit of 10,328. For the first time, as I sat in my room in the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo with the cable in my hand, which said I had made 10,000 profit, I felt all my study and worry over the past few years had been worth it. I was beginning to come out on top. Six weeks later, I received news which is some ways made me feel more elated than the $10,000 because it completely confirmed the technical side of my approach. It was officially announced that American Express had decided to launch a rival to Diner Club. This had been the reason for the hesitation of the stock near the 36 mark. Some people had known this before the announcement and were selling out. Without knowing about it, I was their partner. Being in the Far East, I could not possibly know of any rival organization being set up. Yet the technical side of my system based on the price action had warned me to get out. During all the time that I spent with Loreland and Diner Clubs, I never neglected to follow the quotations of other stocking parents. It began to show me that there was a great interest springing up in the stock called EL Brews, a small mammothian firm. A stock was quoted on an American stock exchange. On closer examination, I learned that the company made hardwood flooring. This most certainly did not fit my fundamental requirement. But the technical pattern was so compelling that I could not make my eyes off it. What amazed me was the movement of EL Proof on street. It usually traded below 5,000 share a week. Then it suddenly woke up and started to move. In the second week of April 1958, its volume rose to an astonishing 9,100 share. Thereafter, the weekly volume climbed to 41,500 to 50. 4,200 to 76,500 share, with the price jumping to 5 to 8 points weekly without any sign of downward reaction. Bruce went from 80 to February in February 
250 at the beginning of May. Only then came its first reaction, which carried it back to 43J4. I could not be sure, of course, but reaction seemed to be only a temporary halt, a refueling. I felt it would continue to rise. I continued to find a fundamental reason, but I could not. Still, the volume was there, the price action was there, the rim of the advance was there. I began to feel like a man sitting in the darkened theater, waiting for the curtain to go up on a thriller. I flew as flew from Tokyo to Calcutta. I puzzled off over the Bruce quotations every hour of the week. I had it had a wider, freer range than most stocks, and I could not place a definite frame around it. Flying over the Indian Ocean, I made up my mind to make an exception. Fundamentals or no fundamentals, it if it went over 50 i would buy it and i would buy a lot of it but i needed money my diners club sale had released some of my fund but that was not enough i could have using used my savings but after the johns and laughing disaster i decided never again to risk more money than i could afford to lose without ruining myself consequently i have never again added to my market fund from my short business income the only possible thing to do was to make a close look at my old friend Loreland. Will it still behaving well? It was not. Its penetrations were not decisive. Its reactions were deeper. I decided to take my money out of Loreland and be readily to invest in it in Bruce. I sold my 1000 shares the second week in May for an average price of 57. The total price on the sale was 56,880. My profit on the deal was 23. 21,052. This was the 10,000 I had made from Dairy Diner Club. Meant that in five months I had nearly doubled my capital. I felt pleased and proud and ready, like a giant killer, to deal with a powerful and erratic stock like those. I made a special preparation for this fight. I had con concluded after the Lorient deal that my system was working so well that I did not want to entrust it into the handles of one for. I felt if anyone were to allow my operation, this might make it difficult for me. I called New York and opened account with two other brokerage firms. In the third week of May 1958, I cabled New York to buy 500 proofs at 50 with my automatic on payment by order. I put in a stop loss of 48. In the following days, the stock acted so beautifully that I decided to make full advantage of the existing 50% margin conditions. When I saw that my stop loss was not touched off, I proceeded with further purchasing, each of which was protected by stop losses between 57 and 48. I figured that should I be stopped out, I would only lose my dynamic club's profit. My timing was right. El Bruce really began to climb as it drawn upward by a magnet. As I watched it, I became amazed at the way it soared. It was spectacular. I just sat in Calcutta gazing at my daily code. Soon they told me the stock has surged over 60. After a slight hesitation, it suddenly broke out again by June 13th. It had advanced. It was obvious even in Faraway India had that something fascinated happen, was happened on the American stock exchanges. I had to fight a hard battle with myself not to phone New York and find out what was going on. No, I said to myself as I felt like calling 
my brokers that I will only mean rumors and may not do something silly. No man's revolution and patience were more severely tested than mine. As I sat in the Grand Hotel at Calcutta wondering what Wall Street was doing. A few days later, my nail gone impatience was changed to terror by a call from New York. It was one of my brokers and he nearly stopped my heartbeat. He said they have, they have suspended trading in truth on the American Stock Exchange. I nearly dropped the phone as I listened. I was terrified. Stop trading in Bruce stock. I had over 60,000 my entire capital invested in it. Did this means I had lost my money? It was with some difficulty that I was able to concentrate enough to listen. It was minutes before I recovered enough to hear what he had to say. With my emotions running amok, it took me a long time to understand that far from being broke, I could I now could sell brutes for $100 a share in the over-the-counter market. I was completely confused. $100 a share, what was this? I was trembling while he told me the story over the telephone from New York to Calcutta. Certain traders on Wall Street, basing their view on a purely fundamental approach, had decided that Bruce took value and earning indicated that the stock's price should not be more than 30 a share. Therefore, they had started to sell the stock short between 45 and 50, confident they would be able to fulfill their bargaining by buying it back at a price much nearer 30. They made a grave mistake because this was one factor they did not know about. A New York manufacturer named Edward Gilbert was trying to oust the Bruce family from control of the company. He had he and his associates were trying to obtain a majority of the 3,40,14,600 share outstanding which the Bruce family owned. It was this move that had rocketed the price. The volume of traffic and more than 2,75,000 Bruce share was trading during a period of 10 weeks. The short seller who has had so much misjudged the market jostled each other to push the stock to dizzy height in their country effort to buy it. They were caught with their pants down by the mysterious upward surge of the stock and they could not buy the share at any price to fulfill their obligations. Finally, as it was impossible to assure an orderly market because of the freezer dealing and the American stock exchange suspended trading. But this made no difference to the desperate short sellers. They still had to deliver the stock. Now they were willing to pay anything over the counter for Bruce. I listened in a daze all to all this. My broker asked me whether since the over-the-counter price per share was now 100, I would instruct him to sell at this price. I thought back to my daily tables and how they had begun to paint an amazing picture of Bruce to me. I remembered the ordeal I had undergo as I steal myself not to telephone to find out what was happening because the, this would come under the heading of rumors which I had thought never to listen to again. I recalled how I held on while my daily quotes revealed to me Bruce's sensational upward progress and I did not know what to do. Should I still hold on? I was faced with a very bad decision. I was offered a big tempting profit. 
as i listened to my broker i felt strongly urged strongly urged to sell the stock after all selling at 100 means i would make a fortune i thought hard while i listened then i made one of the most momentous decision of my life i said no i will not sell at 100 i had no reason to sell at advancing stock i will hold on to it i did it was a big decision and a difficult one but it proved exactly right several times within the next few weeks i received urgent telephone calls reporting higher and higher offering for my shares from broker in various part of the united states i gradually sold out the stock on the over the counter market in block of 100 and 200 share for an average price of 171 this was my first really big killing in the market i made 295305 profit of this operation this was a tremendous event for me i was so happy i did not know which way to turn i told my story to everyone who cared to listen i showed my telegram to them the only reaction was who gave you the tip i tried to explain that no one had given me the tip that i had done it all by myself and that all was i was so happy and excited exactly for that reason nobody believed me i was sure i am sure that every one of my friends in calcutta still believe today that mr gilbert himself had taken me into this confidence